When we think of uh, our fathers, as was mentioned many times already this morning, this being the day designated for Father's Day. Uh, when we think of our fathers, I, I know that as we uh, look back, as we remember, uh, there's probably a wide-ranging or wide variety of emotions that can be stirred there, right? Because our fathers being human, uh, we have probably really good uh, emotions, we have good things that we remember, but then at the same time, we probably have times when we look and say, well, that wasn't so good, that they made mistakes, they did this or they did that, um, because our, our, our fathers are human. That's just the reality. We didn't get to pick them. And often even in, the, in showing love, there's a, a friction there sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. And yet wonderful memories as well. It's interesting how our brains function, how they work, because this really isn't any other different than any other Sunday, right? We've come to worship God, we've come to give praises to our God, and yet because we've set this, side day, this day aside and we've designated it on the calendars or marked it on the calendars, Pretty much every calendar you buy would probably have this day written down as, as Father's Day. There's a, there's a change. There's a difference. Our brains function differently. We have different thoughts because we're focusing on what fathers do and what, what our fathers have done. And so today is not really different, but it's unique in the way that our brains work. And we celebrate our dads. You know, maybe there's a, a card or two or a gift or two or... A, a phone call that's long overdue, or a hug, or an I love you. And it certainly is really good to appreciate dads for all that they do. As was mentioned earlier, I hope that we truly appreciate the connection that we can have to then our Heavenly Father. Because where our dads are fallible, where our dads have made mistakes, where our dads uh, often can sometimes let us down, or we have these, these, these certain memories, our Heavenly Father, our amazing God, has not and will not do that. Just think on that for a minute. God, God has not and will not let us down. Our God loves us tremendously. He loves us deeply. And we should be so honored and, and proud to be able to, to be blessed in the way that we are, to be His children. To know that we are joint heirs with Jesus. That we get to be children of the King. So that this day, not just this day, not just this Sunday, but every day really, we have an opportunity then to live in response to the love that our God has given us. That our Father has given us. So we read a passage in, in John that we, that we know fairly well. And it reminds us of the love that God has, the depth of that love that He was willing to give of His one and only Son so that we could celebrate this day in worship of our Heavenly Father.
title this morning is A Father's Love. And probably all of us have memories of our dads, of our fathers, and the love that they had for us. But our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father truly and profoundly has loved us. Do we appreciate, and again, not just today, but do we appreciate what it is to be able to stand before our God in peace? To know that we have peace with our Heavenly Father because His Son died in our place? And I've tried to wrap my brain around that over the years, and, and I've come to the knowledge of it, the understanding of it, and sometimes I, I, I think I lack the ability to, to put myself in that place because it seems so impossible. But that cross, really, that, that sin and that death was mine. And I understand that. I know, I, I know that, in, in, that my brain understands that. But do we put ourselves in that place? The sin that Jesus took on, the sin and the death that he had to struggle and deal with was ours. So that we could stand before our God in confidence. We could stand before our God and know that we are at peace with our God, with our Heavenly Father. That we get to live life now, true life, because of that. Not, not just in a physical sense, but spiritually. We have, we have life because our God is the giver of life. Because God doesn't change. He's steadfast. And he wants us to live that way as well. I hope we appreciate that. What it would have been like for us to have the burden of sin that we could not get rid of. But we don't have to cling to it anymore. We don't have to live that life anymore. But we can't just then give to God a portion of who we are. Jesus, his son, came and died on the cross, giving of himself, sacrificing all that he was, so that we could have life. And the call for us then in response to that is to give of who we are. Not in portion, but in the whole. And we're going to make mistakes at that. I, I know that that's the reality. But the desire should be to be what God wants us to be, not in parts, not in segments of our life. Not when we're around certain people, not when we're at certain events, but always to be His. And I hope we, I hope we deal with that. I hope we, we go through the struggle of that. I hope... That we go through the struggle of the thoughts of that. We go through the struggle of the temptation and, and deal with those things and remove those things from our lives. And not just accept them as, well, this is the way that life is. Because it doesn't have to be that way. This afternoon, or this afternoon, well played. This morning, we are going to look at a few examples of uh, fathers in Scripture. And, and some of the lessons that we get to see from them, the lessons that God uh, put them through so that we could understand and know how we're to live better. 
The examples I want to start with is Abraham. We sing a, a kid's song uh, whenever uh, I'm teaching it anyway. The kids, we sing a, a kid's song called Father Abraham. And uh, it gets fairly crazy, so we're not going to sing it now because you end up shaking and spinning and kicking and lots of screaming. And um, that's mostly me, not the kids. Father Abraham, and how does the next line go? Had many sons. Many sons did Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. We understand the, the, the lesson of that song, right, is that God has provided for, for Abraham this, this nation, right, these, these people that are his people, his, his nation, that God has provided all of this countless blessing through Abraham. That this was God's plan for the world. That he made a promise, right? Uh, he made a promise to Abraham that through him, through his seed, would come all of this. And we sit here now as examples of that, right? Through Abraham's faith, we, we sit here now as, as children of that promise. That we were ushered into the kingdom that was promised to Abraham through our acceptance of Jesus Christ. And we get to be a part of that. Turn into Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 90, think about this for a second. When Abraham or Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between you and me and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, you'll be called Abraham. For I have made you father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. This promise... To Abraham, Abram, to Abraham, is one that descendants upon descendant upon descendant could be a part of. And how does that work? You know, often uh, the Jews would cling to that and, and call themselves then the descendants of Abraham because they physically were these descendants and they would be able to trace their lineage uh, back to Abraham, father uh, Abraham. And yet we get to see in the New Testament that the real descendants of Abraham are those that come to God faithfully, and live this life of faith through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He was promised a son, this son of promise. And he's 99 years old. He's not a young man. And yet he has the son, the son of promise, after going through a little bit of an ordeal. He has the son of promise, and God asks him to do what? You remember the story? God asks him to take his son, right? To take his son and to do what? Do you remember? Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. 
Take your son, the one whom you love. Take your son of promise, the one which the God has promised is all dependent upon this one son, and go and sacrifice him. Take his life as a burnt offering to God. On this place I will show you. And Abraham does exactly that. Abraham takes his son, and he goes to the place that God shows him, and they walk up the mountain, and Abraham goes to the point where he raises the knife in order to sacrifice his own son with the intent of doing so. Think on that. What does that require? You know, later on in the New Testament, as Abraham is described, he's described as a man of what? Of faith. And his righteousness comes through this desire to be pleasing to God of of faith and in action that he does these things. That he was willing to sacrifice his own son. There is a decision to be faithful. Do we want to please God when it is good to do so? It's not a trick question. Do we want to please God when it is good to do so? Yes. Is that the only time we want to be pleasing to God? With a resounding no. We should not want to just be pleasing to God when it is good to do so. We should want to be pleasing to God all the time. Does that make it difficult when times are difficult? Sometimes. Sometimes it's not difficult to please God even in the moments that are difficult. Sometimes it's difficult to please God in the times that are, that are easy. But do we have a desire to be pleasing to God all the time? Even as Abraham is told, here is this promise I give to you based on this son, this child. Now take that child that the promise is based on and sacrifice him. Is this an easy decision? Wrap your brain around it. Is it an easy decision? We're going to struggle with that decision, I can tell you that. And Abraham does what? You read through the passage and what does it say? He's given this directive and early the next morning he gets up and goes. So one, he's, he's been laying down, either sleeping or uh, laying down awake, but he gets up early and goes. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us that there's a struggle in this decision, which is mind-boggling. Because his desire is to be faithful. And his answer to his son is what? When his son asks him, where is uh, the sacrifice? God will provide. God will provide. I am dependent solely on God. My decision is to be faithful to God. I'm not going to try to outthink God. I'm not going to try to come up with a solution on my own. My decision is to be faithful to the God who loves me, who created me, who gave me the promise, and who's told me that this will work out for you. Do we sometimes try to outthink God? 
Do we try to come up with, with our own schemes and say, well, God wants me to be faithful. That means I should probably just kind of skirt around here and do, do this so that I can accomplish this, and then I'll come back and be faithful to God. Abraham says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to be faithful, and God will provide. And if God provides this son, then God will provide a way. And what happens? They get there, and he raises the knife, and what ends up happening? God stops him, right? And he looks up, and there he sees a cot in a thicket around that God has provided a sacrifice. Let's not reverse the order there. He didn't look up and see the ram and say, this is what God must want for me. Did he? That's not the order of how it went. God calls to him, no stop, and provides the ram. And until that moment, when God tells him to stop, what's he going to do? What we can probably have a hard time fathoming, he's going to be faithful to God's directive. Knowing that God will provide. The decision is to be faithful. And, and as we go through life and we know that there's struggles and we know that there's, there's times where there's, there's all these things going on around us. And we have to choose to be faithful. No matter where that leads us. No matter what, what God has in store for us. We have to choose to be faithful. As God is faithful. We have to be loving as God is loving. Holy as He is holy. All of these things are a mirror of who God is and what God is. And we respond to Him. Even when life throws curveballs. If you don't know that expression, it's when something happens that is unexpected. Something that isn't planned for. Something that doesn't go the way that you want it. A couple years ago, uh, quite a few years ago, there was a a pitcher in the major leagues, his name was Randy Johnson. And Randy Johnson was a, I think he was like 6'11", and he could throw the ball, he's left-handed, and man, could he throw the ball, like, really hard, up, up around 100 miles an hour. And it was in an all-star game, so all-star games are somewhat uh, less competitive than regular games, but they still want to win. And a left-handed batter came up to a left-handed pitcher, and so he's throwing right in on him. And he's throwing 100 miles an hour, and he throws one at this guy. His name was John Cruck, but he throws one right at his head. And that guy bails out of there like, that's a, that's a ball coming at you at 100 miles an hour, and it's going to hurt. And so he just, he's gone. I'm done. It's an all-star game. I'm not going to get hurt. He just bails out like he had just been blown over by a tornado. The very next pitch... He stands up to bat, and this pitcher throws a curveball. And if you know how a curveball works, it starts right at your head and curves into the strike zone. And so he throws this curveball at about 92 miles an hour, and it's coming in on this batter, and he bails out like a small child. He just runs away screaming, and all of a sudden the ball curves right back into the strike zone. And he looks ridiculous because it was unexpected. He had no... He had no stomach to stand in there and take it. Sometimes life throws us curveballs. Things we don't expect. Things we aren't looking for. Do you remember the story of Joseph? I ask somewhat facetiously, since you should remember the story of Joseph. 
Now, talking about Joseph in the New Testament. Here is his wife, Mary. And an angel comes to her, right? And tells her what? It's not Christmas, but we still can remember the story, right? What happens? Mary is told that she's going to be with child. She asks, how can this be? Since I am a virgin. And says it will be done through the Holy Spirit. And so she is with child. And the difficulty of that, we've talked about a lot. You know, the, the difficulty of that being in the culture that they were living in. The fact that she was betrothed to be married. That she would have to go back to her family. That she would have to try to explain to them that I'm, that I'm with child. So now, if you turn into, into Matthew, we, we see then, uh, Matthew chapter 1, that she tells Joseph. Or Joseph finds out that she's uh, with child. And what is his response? You can turn there very quickly. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse, around verse 19. Uh, what is his response? Is he quite happy? Quite perplexed? Obviously a little upset? Well, he's perplexed. He's upset. He, he doesn't quite understand how this could possibly be. And so he makes a decision, right? And what is his decision based uh, from what we know in Matthew chapter 1? says this, I'll start reading it in verse uh, 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful, faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. That's his response when he finds out that she's with child. He doesn't want her to come to public disgrace. He doesn't want to come, her to come to harm. And yet he's faithful to the law, understanding that obviously she must have been unfaithful uh, to him. And so he's, he's going to break off the relationship. He's in a dilemma, is he not? Because she comes to him and says, uh, I'm with child, but I've been faithful to you the whole time. And since that has never happened in the history of mankind, his response is, no. I mean, look at his response. Does, does he believe that? We'll read again. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet, yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. If he fully understood what was going on, there would be no thought in his mind about public disgrace. There would be no thought in his mind about divorcing her quietly. There would be no thought in his mind about being unfaithful or breaking the law. He is in a dilemma. This is not something he would have anticipated. Not something that he would have thought a week earlier. Hmm, I wonder if this will happen. I wonder if Mary, who I'm betrothed to, will come to me and say that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And yet, in the midst of that dilemma, what happens? Well, in the very next part of the passage, it says, But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, understandably, this is powerful. An angel of the Lord comes to him. Does this make it any more common? Does it make it any more easy to deal with? 
And yet because of his faith, because of his desire to be pleasing to God, what does he do? Jump to 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took Mary home to his wife. Any hesitation there? Here, here's a guy, just think about it, who was on the verge of uh, ending their relationship. He wakes up from this dream, and there is zero hesitation in doing what God wants him to do. It's not an error. It's the same as the last one. Just as Abraham had to make that decision to be faithful, so did Joseph. And he chose it. Even when he didn't probably understand everything. He didn't have his mind fully wrapped around everything. Was he choosing to be faithful to God? When life throws him a curveball, he chooses to be faithful. So often, I think our faith needs to be bolstered. But I think that we, we plan on our faith... Being, being faithful people dependent on our wife being blessed by God. That if my life is going well and I feel like God is blessing me, then I'm going to be faithful in response to Him. And what if then Satan tempts us? What if we go through trials like Job? What if we go through hardship that we don't understand? What if there's curveballs in life, in the relationships we hold dear? What if all of these things are taken from? What if anything that we can imagine happens? And all of a sudden now, life is not easy. That life is difficult. That there's hardships. Maybe every day. Are we still making the decision to be faithful? Our God loves us. Our God loves us tremendously. He wants us to be in a relationship with Him. He does not want us to be lost. He does not want us to to walk away. And we will be refined, we will be tempted, we will be tested, and life will just sometimes be hard. None of that should keep us, or can keep us, from being faithful. There is, there is nothing that Satan can do to remove you from a faithful life. He can tempt you to walk away. He can tempt you to forsake that. He can tempt you to walk away from your God and no longer live a faithful life. And we can come upon tests that we, that we might fail. But there's nothing that can, that can ultimately separate us from being faithful if we make the decision and make the choices to be faithful. So do not have it be dependent on your life feeling blessed. Because you will not always feel that way. You will not always feel like life is smooth. And all of you have probably gone through times where you can understand that. 
the need to be faithful in those moments. For yourself, in your relationship with God, and for us too. As we get to, to watch and look on and be helpful and encouraged, but we also get to be spurred on by your decisions to be faithful in difficulty. Choose to be faithful. We must choose to be as God has called us to be. We have a Heavenly Father who is amazing. And I was tempted to, to get you to think, well, you can still do it anyway, uh, but to share uh, your thought on your Heavenly Father. And maybe we can do that at a later date. But our Heavenly Father is truly amazing and wonderful. And beyond what we can, can use to describe. You know, I, I often uh, talk about our God as being our Creator. And, then, and then I, I've said it over and over and over again, but that for me is one of the, the absolute great wonders of God, is his ability to create. That he in all of his glory uh, created you. He wanted you to be you. As much as sometimes we want to change ourselves, that's all right, you can make yourself better. But God designed you to be you. Now, he wants you to be the kind of you that is doing his will, that is leaving your life of, of sin. But he created you. He gave you the talents, abilities. He gave you the, the brain that you have. He even gave you the sense of humor that you have, or lack thereof in some cases. But that's who created you, is God, our Heavenly Father. He wants you. wants you to be saved and forgiven. He wants a relationship with creation. He wants his relationship with you. And he made that possible because he is the giver of grace. Our Heavenly Father is the, is the giver of grace. He is the one who judges. He is the one who forgives. He made that possible through his son. Through the, the sacrifice on the cross and the taking on of sin and death. And this can only come then through that avenue, through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only way we can be saved is through our connection to his death, burial, and resurrection. And our obedience to the gospel. And when we do that, we have grace that washes us clean. We come to him in faith and obedience. We also understand that on top of that, that God is a just God. Do we understand what that means to say that God is a just God? I hope we do. I hope, I hope we fully understand the ramifications of God being a just God. Because we really like to focus on the one aspect of God being a just God, and that being that those who have washed their sins away through the, through the acceptance of Jesus Christ and His blood, that we will have an eternity with God. Not because of our own uh, well-being or all because of our own goodness, because that wouldn't be justice, but because of what Christ has done. Because Christ died on the cross for us. And so we get to be joint heirs with him. We love that aspect of it. Do we not? I mean, it's okay, we can nod our heads in that. We do. We love that aspect. We, we 
absolutely crave the time where we get to be with our God for all eternity. And we should. Because it's going to be tremendous. It's going to be amazing. But that's not the fullness of God being a just God. That's a part of it. But God has said that if we harbor our own sins, if we hold on to our own sins, our own death, that God is a just God and He will reward those dependent on how they sow. So you will reap what you sow. That if we hold on to our sins, if we harbor them unto ourselves, God will do what? He will say to us at that last day, I do not know you. And we will be separated from him. But wait a minute, I I thought our God was a loving God. I thought our God was a a good God, the giver of grace, a a forgiving God. How can that possibly be? How How can that possibly be then that God would punish mankind for their sins? Because God is a just God. And he has told us. And he has warned us. And he has given us his son. And he has told us over, over, and over again and called us to respond to that. And it is one of the saddest realities of life to know that there will be those who will be lost for an eternity. It places on us as children of the Heavenly Father, a responsibility, does it not? In more than one passage, but specifically at the end of Matthew, but more than one passage, God calls us to be teachers of His Word, to be sharers of His Word, to be salt and to be light, and to bring people to an acceptance and understanding of what Christ has done baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that he has commanded so that they too can have their sins washed away and if we understand that that then that god is a just god we're not going to just hoard the love that he has poured out on us and say well this is just for us the church but understand that god so loved we had this passage read for us and we should already know it but john three sixteen, that god so loved who the church is that what that passage says The world. God loved the world. Now, he loves the church, but he loves the world. He wants them to be saved as well. And as children of the Heavenly Father, as children of a just God, we must go into this world and share the love that he has for mankind. I want to close this morning by reading in Romans. If you take the turn there, Romans uh, chapter 8, starting in verse 31. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written? For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered to, as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor wife, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.